Hi, thanks for joining us today. Today we are going to talk about something everyone in the performing arts industry is familiar with and probably dreads, auditions. Wait, actually we're talking about interviews? Yeah, but really, what's the difference? Well, auditions are when you have a limited amount of time to make an impression on people in charge of hiring for a specific role, and interviews, well, all right, maybe they're a little similar. (laughs) Yeah, so polyglots are familiar with this phenomenon. When you speak multiple languages, and especially when you are speaking a language that is not your first, sometimes your brain defaults to your first language and you have to take a minute to translate. There are actually neurological studies that prove your brain can process two languages simultaneously as you speak, hence the confusion. Even when you're fluent in a second language, your brain is still simultaneously processing your instinctive first language. To this day, this same type of thing happens to me in regard to my first language, performing arts industry. I spoke performing arts industry long before I spoke corporate marketing. And as a result, I have on more than one occasion said I have an audition instead of an interview or I'm preparing for an audition (laughs) because my brain equates them. So can you actually prepare for an interview like you do for an audition? Or for my other techie nerdy friends, It's similar to when you're interviewing and meeting with a director the first time before you're even hired, when you're showing them your portfolio, when you're sending it out for feedback. Absolutely. It is the exact same process. If you're in the arts and looking for jobs in a new industry, make sure to check us out at outofthearts.com or follow us on social media at outofthearts for resources and support. The reason my brain equates auditions and interviews and sometimes confuses the words is because getting into it and getting into that mindset is the exact same thing I always did to prepare for an audition. And the very first step for me is building confidence in this subject matter. You decide you're going to audition for a role. You have to learn about the role, learn about the historical and social context, learn about the company that you're auditioning for. All of these pieces go into it. It's the exact same thing. And don't forget that in the case of an interview for a non-arts job, you're bringing skills to the table that many others don't have. Is your degree in biochemistry? Probably not. But you can problem solve under pressure like a beast. They wouldn't be interviewing you if you weren't a possible great fit for them. This is just one foot in the door. And just like an audition, everyone has heard the old adage that you walk into an audition room and they want to see you do well. It's the same thing with an interview. They want you to be the perfect fit as much as you do. Live in that. I guess we were probably 19 when we both individually decided to watch kids and teach theater with minimal supervision. Mm -hmm. Did we know Mm -hmm. what we were getting into during that interview or even applying for that job? (laughs) Absolutely not. But the interview, as I remember, it was just a phone call. And 
when having that phone call, I knew I felt comfortable working with other people because in undergrad, we we worked with everyone. You worked with actors who weren't necessarily technicians and you helped them do lighting or do sound or whatever technical skills you had. So I knew going into that interview that I had that background, that I could work with people and I could teach them how to do the things that I do. And it turned out to be something that formed my career for the next 15 years. Teaching at that camp has helped me understand that I love teaching. I love working with people, giving them the aha moment. So that interview was just a stepping stone into really the next 15 years of my life. And that sounds super cliche. I don't know where that came from, but it's really true. So if you're getting nervous, think about the opportunities that this can bring to you. And like Amy said, everyone wants you to succeed. Nobody brings someone in for an interview thinking, They're not going to be good at the job. They're not going to waste their time on that. So if they're bringing you in for an interview, that's because they already think that you're possibly amazing and they just need to confirm that. We know to build our confidence. And another way to do that, especially when looking at a new industry, is prep answers to common questions for your industry. If you are going into a training position, you are going to be asked about different training techniques. If you are going into a marketing position, you're going to be asked about different marketing concepts. They're going to ask you specific questions about marketing. That's true. Like what, Amy? In the case of marketing, they may ask you about your B2B experience, or they may ask you about your social media engagement experience. I mean, there are so many random pieces of jargon. Make sure you understand all of the jargon in the job description and that you can prepare answers to that in case of an interview. And a lot of times you can get jargon from even the job description that was sent out. And they'll list some stuff there. You can also look, just Google it, training developer positions, And if you've been applying for positions in this new industry, you're going to have seen some words over and over and over, no matter what that industry is. So think about that terminology. Think about the questions that they're going to ask, like your experience with those pieces of the industry. Yeah, and something fun you can do there, which I have done in the past, is you can do a little role play there, to be honest, to prep these answers. Put yourself in the mind of an interviewer. Get really comfortable with the job description. And then put yourself in the mind of the interviewer and think of the questions that you would ask for someone interviewing in that position. And then prepare those answers. It's kind of a fun game and also super helpful. If you go on to LinkedIn, they have a bunch of free resources that go through different interviewing questions. It talks about the most popular interviewing questions and what different people have looked for in different employees that they've been hiring. So use that free resource. Go to LinkedIn. They have a ton of great stuff. And the people who are giving these 
usually three minute, five minute videos, little talks, seem like real normal people. So I really have enjoyed watching them myself and definitely recommend them if you're feeling a little nervous and you're not sure how to prep, using that as a good starting point so that you feel a little more confident walking into more specific questions. And just like you walk into an interview room with your head held high and ready to give a good audition because you have rehearsed and you have your monologue or your aria or your song, whatever, memorized, you want to make sure that you're preparing the same way for your interview. Yes, you do need to practice responses out loud. Believe it or not, it sounds ridiculous, but would you walk into an audition without having prepared the material properly? No. And if you do, are you expecting much out of it? Also no. So we know that interviews can be nerve-wracking, and we all know what happens when you get caught off guard. Even if you're a great off-the-cuff talker or improviser, it's still important that you have advanced knowledge of the subject, which includes names, company info, your own brand and storytelling. I had a professor in college who used to tell us, it's not practice that makes perfect. It's perfect practice that makes perfect. And what he meant by that was... Not that we have to be perfect all the time. It's not about perfectionism, but that if you're just going over something and over something, but you're not putting your all into it from the beginning, then when you get to performance level, you're not going to be giving your all because you've trained yourself to only give half. Well, and we see that in normal rehearsals. If you are, even if you're a designer, a technician, if you are going in and watching a rehearsal, if you're the lighting designer and people, and you're only giving half the light just because you're just trying to get a good concept, that's not really giving you a good view. You don't do that. You don't give half of lighting to a rehearsal thinking it's going to give you a view of what you can expect for a performance. You just don't do that because you know it's not going to give you the full picture that you need. So if we don't do that in even as technicians, even as designers, we're not going to give partial effort and expect great, then we shouldn't be doing that in an interview and for the interview process. Right. You should be preparing and practicing just like you would any other audition and any other performance. One of the questions that's been coming up and is very specific to the arts industry, so we want to make sure we cover it, is what happens when the arts are back in business? What happens when your arts take off? If they know that you have a background and Maybe you're just getting a job because COVID is real and the industry has been shut down in many ways and a lot of jobs have been lost. There is no shame in getting a job just for now. I'm going to start with that. Second, I want to say that this is no different than if someone gets a job and then finds a better job down the road. 
you taking this job for now is because this job fits in your life right now. And you need to find a good way to respond essentially with that because this is no different than if I had found a job back in teaching, let's say I went back into an academic institution, I went back to teaching college, I was there for a year, I hit burnout again and said, nope, really not for me, I'm good, and I left because I found something where I'm not running workshops every week, where I'm not doing some of the things that come with academia, and there's nothing wrong with being in a job for six months. I was in a job for six months. Absolutely. And I didn't mesh and it just wasn't the right atmosphere for me. And I was adult enough to acknowledge that and find something else that worked better. So pulling it back into what happens when the arts take back off. Here's our suggestion for you, and this is absolutely on our website. We will absolutely be posting this. Here's our recommendation. So here's your answer. So I am you talking to the hiring person, the manager, supervisor, whatever. I would say, you're interviewing me because you think I bring something great to your organization. And I'm here interviewing because I'm interested in what I can bring to your organization as an employee. If I join your company, love the work I'm doing, and it's a good fit for me, then I hope to stay just like any other employee. Because that's true. Let's say you take a job, you think it's going to be just for now. I think that's summary of Amy's first position outside the arts, where she was like, oh, oh, maybe I'll stay here. Mm -hmm. And it happens. We've all been there where we've taken jobs thinking, oh, this will be good for a little while, and then we end up staying. I have an interesting story about this, actually. So I interviewed for a position with a law firm several years back, and they asked me this exact question. And I basically gave this answer. I think I can bring something to the organization. I think I can do the job well. I'm loyal. If I'm treated well, I'll stay. Eventually this job became really toxic. And I left. And I took some time to myself and was freelancing, doing my communications things. And then I found a position for another law firm doing the same work I was doing before. And again, they asked me the question. And I said the same thing. And then they specifically asked, you left the previous law firm why did you leave and why are you coming back into this world? And it can be really tricky because you can't just flat out say in an interview, well, my previous employer was really toxic and I had to leave because they're all part of the same community. I'm not going to walk around bad-mouthing them. That's not a good look in an interview, just for the record. So I put the onus back on myself. You know, I made the choice to leave at the time. And now I'm making the choice to join your firm again because 
it seems like it's the right fit and I really want to work with you. I love your mission and what you're doing. These are very real things and they're always going to ask. They're always going to ask. So don't be afraid to be honest and let them know that you're there because you want to be there. It's that simple. I always think about this question, and maybe it's just because that's how I've been hearing it, in the context of COVID. I was never asked, why am I leaving the performing arts? That was not a question that I ever actually got. And maybe it's because my transition was a little different going from production manager to teaching to teaching in a different way. They didn't think about me being a performing arts professional. I don't I don't know that half the people I work with understand what I did for 10 years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I kind of wonder going along with that if there is some sort of bias in performer versus non-performer. Because I have a performer background, maybe there's an assumption that one day I'm just going to run off and join the circus. Whereas because (laughs) you don't have a performer background and people don't necessarily understand what your job even is, that they just don't broach that topic or they there's not as much of a bias against it oh that's interesting I didn't even think about the idea that they didn't understand what my job was like we know that they have no idea we know that realistically (laughs) right but I guess I hadn't thought about I just hadn't thought about it but that makes a lot of sense if you don't know what it is and you have no idea how to negate it or You justify it because there are lots of jobs that maybe you don't know about. And you say, oh, well, it's just another thing somebody did. I don't know. I wonder if they think it's real work. I think it definitely depends on the person. All that comes to mind for me are those memes that are like, what my mom thinks I do, what society thinks I do, what my friends think I do, what I actually do. Yes. I would would love to see a bunch of those. But from the perspective of a non-arts person like what do you actually think a sound designer does what do you think that means and what do you think that entails on a day-to-day basis yeah I'm kind of lucky because my current boss was an actress and did tours and lived the life in New York and so when I applied and interviewed with her It was actually kind of great because some of the questions she asked and some of the questions I asked, because as I've gotten older in my elderly age, I really value work-life balance. I don't want to work 60 hours a week every week. I don't mind doing it as necessary, but that's not my goal. My goal Mm -hmm. is to work, to do great things, to build an empire, and to go home and snuggle my puppies. So if you want me to work 60 and 70 hour weeks consistently, this doesn't work. But when I was talking to her, I could say, is this like living in tech week perpetually? 
And she understood what that meant. And we had a really cool conversation about being able to sustain that. And I don't know how true it ended up at all. like, <laughs> But it was great as far as the interview because we found that common ground. And while there are going to be a lot of people who will have no idea what you've done, there are going to be a lot of people who also came from a performing industry background. I think it's pretty much going to be either or. They're going to have no idea what your job is and means, and you really are going to have to do some education, or they're going to have a similar background. Even the people who've done community theater or, oh, I did theater in high school, at least they have some concept of what it means to be a designer. Oh, I do lighting. I have some idea of what that is versus my friends who are hardcore religion and that's what they did and that's what they focused on and they have no idea. I don't know what that percentage is. I wish I knew in the world. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to say. There are a lot of people out there who have an arts background in one way or another. They were in band or choir or drama club growing up and then haven't touched it since they graduated high school but it's still there and it's still part of them and so they have an understanding and appreciation for what we do as performing arts professionals there's a lot to be said for that I also my current employer has a theater degree and then went on to do her JD. She's an attorney. And it's great because I was able to say we did a real estate closing a couple of weeks ago. It took about seven minutes total. And that was with conversation with the client. So, you know, there's a lot of buildup and a lot of things that go into preparing for a real estate closing, and it's weeks and weeks and weeks of work, and then the entire thing takes less than 10 minutes. What does that sound like to you? So I said to her, it's like a show. You're preparing for a show. You put so much effort and time into it, and then you do one performance or you do a weekend worth of performances, and it's done. And she was like, yeah, that must be what attracted me to becoming an attorney, <laughs> oh. which I thought was hilarious. Um, but then also recently, uh, it's a small startup firm, and so they're looking at growing in the near future. And she said to me, I want someone in a legal assistant position who is a performing arts professional or has a performing arts background because I know they're going to be loyal and adaptable and personable and collaborative. And I was like, oh my goodness, you understand. Yes. You get it. Yes. I love it. And it makes a big difference. Well, and even just having a boss who values your diversity. And I guess that that's something that we need to work on as a whole is appreciating that people come from different backgrounds and, oh God, this is just like true life. 
we need to appreciate that people have different backgrounds and have different experiences and have different specialties. And if we all work together, things work out pretty well. If we expect everyone to be just like us, mm-hmm. we can make a lot of bread, but we'll never get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because we have no peanut butter or jelly. Mm-hmm. Is that a weird analogy? It's true. Okay. No, I liked that. <laughs> I mean, it may have been weird, but I liked it. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I want to talk about our last step here because this is important too. Be prepared to ask about next steps. In an interview, when you are interviewing, it's so easy to just defer to them, right? They're in the power position, and you just want to get the job, and maybe you're kind of a yes man in an interview. Oh, can we talk about that for a second? Who holds the power in an interview? Yeah. Because they have the job, but you're bringing the skills. You're bringing the awesomeness that is you. You are bringing 10, 15, 20 years or more experience in the work that you've been doing. And that cannot be underrated. And I guess that's something that goes back to building confidence is know that when you walk into that room, you're not necessarily the person without power in that conversation. Absolutely. And don't forget, we've mentioned this a hundred times before in a hundred different ways. It's not just about what they can give to you. I know, especially in this COVID climate, people are just looking for a job. You're just simping for a job. Like, I don't know what that word means. (laughs) I keep saying that word and I don't know what it means. Is that, Um, is that like? Simping is like a guy who treats a woman this sounds so terrible but this is what it means i was gonna say this already sounds bad yeah a guy no a guy who treats a woman well like who buys her flowers who pays for dinner who does all these things to get attention and to get her to like him that's simping i think i don't see it as a bad thing I think most of our generation doesn't see it as a bad thing, but this is like a Gen Z term. Like, you do not go out on a limb for someone else, basically. They view it as a negative thing. That's so interesting. Yeah, weird, right? Is it inauthentic? What do you mean? Like, is he buying you flowers and paying for dinner So he can sleep with you and ignore you for the rest of the year? Or is he, okay, so he really actually enjoys you as a human? Yes. So the theory, (laughs) I actually, because I'm a nerd, I actually was researching this not too long ago because I see it everywhere and was like, what does this actually mean? So I was looking it up and I read a couple of good articles that had some good kind of sociological content. And basically, this term is a very new term that was essentially invented by teenage white boys who, it seems, probably had their heart broken and are kind of going in the complete opposite direction. 
Yeah, you want to know the definition that came up? It's terrible. Foolishly over-catering to the exaggerated emotions of women. Yeah. It's some sexist nonsense. But that's my point, is that there's no need to really, in, in the case of an interview, there's no need to go beyond what is organic and natural for you. You may want a job and you will get the job that is the right fit for you eventually. Make sure that you are staying grounded in yourself and that you are bringing yourself to the table. Don't feel like you will remember everything when you walk in. You can feel free to bring notes or take notes in an interview. Honestly, that's not the end of the world. And I think I take notes in everything. I remember nothing. Like, take the notes. Yeah. And I can tell you that it's totally worth it because when you ask a question back that's an engaging question and meaningful, that's going to make you stand out in an interview. So don't just be prepared to ask for next steps, but be prepared to ask questions and show that you're engaged and interested and that you want to be a part of this institution. So bring your notes, take your notes, all of that is fine. And then don't be afraid to ask questions and to ask about next steps. When am I going to hear back? That is a really simple question that's so important. Don't just walk out of the room and say, bye, because I can't tell you the number of jobs I have interviewed for when I've been nervous and forgotten to ask that question. And then I walk out of there and I'm like, I have no idea if and when I'm ever going to hear back. And then three, four weeks go by and you assume you're just being ghosted. And then they get back to you like six weeks later. I would say you had someone reach out a long time later. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I applied for a communications position with the Legal Aid Society. They acknowledged my application, and then I did not hear from them for two and a half months. I had already gotten another job and started my new job, and then they called, and I was like, I just started this job. I want to be loyal to this job. It pays really well. I would love to interview for you, but I really thought that the door had closed on that. Two and a half months later, because especially in the case of nonprofits, sometimes things have to go through the ringer. They have to put applications through and the board has to review them and all of those types of things. So Make sure to talk to them and get a realistic idea. And then if they say, we'll get back to you within two weeks, and they don't get back to you within two weeks, then you're well within your rights to follow up and say, hey, I just wanted to check in. I thought I might hear from you. How are things going? Yeah. This is your life too. It's not just about them. You need to know what you're getting yourself into and hope that they set realistic expectations for you. I see a lot of times where people will say, 
hey, I had this awkward experience in this interview process. What do people think? And a lot of times people will come back and they'll say, mm, that sounds like a red flag. And a lot of times it might be. That might be your red flag that if you need this job and you need to pay bills, do what you got to do. But protect your mental health. Know that this job may not be forever. No jobs forever anymore. We just don't do that. And acknowledge that you are worth being treated well. It doesn't... I understand that desperate times call for desperate measures. And I have taken my fair share of jobs that maybe were not the best. But... (laughs) I'm done with that now. So (laughs) I am advocating for myself and for you to set those boundaries right from the get-go and learn to notice those red flags. Engage in the conversation and don't let them walk all over you and don't let them hold all the power in the conversation. Because they don't own all the power. They don't own all the power. They don't own all the power. I'm just going to keep saying it and maybe it'll stick in your head. So keep that in mind. To summarize the five tips that we've talked about today, we really want you to walk into any interview feeling prepared, feeling like you can conquer the world. You want to be confident walking in. Prep for your common questions. Rehearse. Answer and have a confident clear response for what happens if the arts take off and be prepared to ask about the next steps write notes ask questions and in addition my best advice to all of this is don't try to separate out the languages let your brain process both at once and allow yourself to see interviewing for a job as auditioning for a role bring your unique self to the table and show them what you have that makes you uniquely qualified for and connected to this job. In the end, everyone will be better off for it, especially you. We would love to hear what you have to say about your experiences so we can continue to grow this community. So make sure to follow us on social media at Out of the Arts or get in touch with us at outofthearts.com. And as always, thanks for listening.